Hey, this is Dan Fagella, and welcome back to AI and Industry. Here on the show, my goal is always the same, and those of you who are longtime listeners are well aware. It's to take the people with the big degrees, the big smart degrees from smart places, who are also applying AI in business, making a real difference in exciting companies, and to get them to articulate the applications and the trends that really matter so that our business audience can have a broader possibility space of AI. They can think through their own business problems in new ways and see connections and see applications or even see pitfalls that their competitors won't to essentially give our business audience the edge from the technical folks, but talking to business people, not not talking linear algebra. That's the goal. And that's gotten us to speak with some very cool folks. We've talked to uh, high-level artificial intelligence leaders at the governments of nations, Facebook, Airbnb, many exciting companies. But few of these folks have high-level AI leadership positions at many, many exciting Silicon Valley firms. You know, there's a lot of folks that jump around a good deal in Silicon Valley, not necessarily always in AI, but our guest this week is a bit of an exception. Danny Lange is now with Unity. He's heading up AI efforts at, at Unity, you know, one of the, the better-known firms in terms of simulations and computer graphics, and they're working in a number of different industries. We speak mostly about automotive in this episode. Uh, he previously headed up AI at Uber for, I think, about a year, maybe 14 months, was previously heading up AI efforts uh, with Amazon, and was previously doing, I think, computer vision with Microsoft for quite some time. So huge track record in artificial intelligence, not not one of these fellows that got into it four years ago when it got cool. This is a guy that's been in the game since well before it was cool, and now he's working on some pretty cutting-edge stuff with Unity. And so we speak with Danny about where are sort of simulated environments, simulated sort of AI physical worlds, if you will, where are those becoming valuable? We, we hear about this idea of digital twin in manufacturing. We hear about simulations mostly in the context of video games. And of course, Unity does apply their technology in that domain, and, and they're quite well known for it. But what about a space like automotive? where sensors, where navigating within an environment is important. Certainly, we need to have cars on the road to drink in data from physical vehicles driving on the physical road, but is it possible to splinter some digital cars into digital environments that model the physics, that model the roads, that model the same uh, number of pedestrians and risks, and see how well they succeed in all these different environments with no real physical risk of damaging an actual vehicle or an actual person on the road? Is there a value there? And as it turns out, there is. And I think moving forward, there's going to be more and more value there. Automotive is just a tiny microcosm of this broader concept. Any of you who are tuned in now who work in industries that are really heavily embedded with sensor tech, whether that's moving robotics or industrial robotics or anything very computer vision heavy, I think we'll have your kind of eyes opened a bit in terms of where the future is headed here in terms of automotive. Danny talks not just about where this stuff is being applied today to better train vehicles, but also about where this is headed in the future, what he's excited to see these simulations expand to be able to do to open up new levels of capability within artificial intelligence. So again, if you're in a sector or you work with a sector, uh, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of sensors. Uh, computer vision is a good example there. LiDAR is a good example there. I think this is going to be an eye-opening episode. Uh, we were put in touch with Danny by the folks at the Artificial Intelligence or the Applied AI conference out in San Francisco. I spoke there last year. Uh, I know the folks at Bootstrap labs who run the event and before they put it up you know they basically gave me a laundry list of really cool folks to speak with always grateful to work with them they were kind enough to make the handoff with Danny so shout out to the folks at bootstrap and without further ado this is Danny Lange with unity here on AI and industry 
So Danny, where I figured we'd get started first is to get a sense of where these sort of simulated worlds, environments, and physical forces are playing a role in automotive, uh, whether it's self-driving cars, whether it's the manufacturing process, where does it intersect with the automotive sector today? Oh, that's a fantastic question. If you just take a little step back and, and, and think about gaming, yeah, when you play games, you're in this 3D world with physics, yeah, you collide with things, you fall down, you try to survive, things like that, yeah. And then think about that carried into an automotive world where I can now drive a virtual vehicle on a roadway, I can drive it through a city. I can see how the environment, you know, influences uh, the decisions of that vehicle, say it's a self-driving vehicle. That's basically a game changer. And that is that's basically something that happens today, that you could basically simulate uh, vehicles in traffic and learn from that. Got it. And so just practically speaking for the folks at home, I imagine this involves initially, and tell me if I'm wrong, oodles and oodles of data of just cameras on streets or cameras on cars to model what the normal traffic environments and speeds and roads and corners kind of look like, and then working within that? Maybe if you could explain, I guess, kind of practically yeah. speaking, the, the crazy stuff that goes into making that possible. Yeah, there's a lot of what we call world building in it. So you have to build cities, uh, with buildings and trees and, and sidewalks and, and stuff like that. And it doesn't stop there. You also have to build what we call the dynamics of the episodes, which is pedestrians, bicyclists, uh, other cars moving around, traffic lights. And then you put it all into a, a, into a context. You know, there's day of time, there's different weather. And very quickly, you have sort of a, a virtual world in which your vehicle now has to drive through traffic and using machine learning, you know, to train the vehicle, using machine learning to to actually generate the dynamics of the environment to challenge that self-driving vehicle. Yeah, and, and I guess the theory here is that if you can train enough permutations of different environments and speeds and numbers of pedestrians and numbers of cars and kinds of weather, then you have sort of this this little car entity with cameras and with everything else, but it's looking at a virtual space that looks pretty real, but but it's it's not actually real. And it's modeling all the physical forces. How fast can it speed up and slow down? The idea is that you can run that car through 2,000 permutations of traffic in different environments and weather at once, hypothetically, if you have the compute power. And that maybe if we do enough of that, we just have better cars. You know, we have better cars in better environments. We can train a new model of car on all the normal road conditions in, in a faster time than if we had 200 cars driving in the real world. I guess that's the promise, right? Yeah. Think about it this way. If, if you take Alphabet's Waymo company, yep. uh, they're building a, a self-driving vehicle. Up to today, they have been driving about 10 million miles on real roadway with those vehicles. Yeah, In the US, we have about uh, one fatality per 100 million miles. Yeah, So just driving 10 million miles is actually really not going to tell us much about how safe that vehicle is. Yeah, So what we have to do is to actually move into the virtual world. Because as you said, we can have 2,000 parallel driving experiences happening. Well, 2,000 is actually low, yeah? Make it 10 or 20,000, yeah? There are many, many servers in the different cloud services, and we have made Unity able to actually execute in cloud services, yeah? So you can really scale out. And then secondly, you no longer have to run at wall clock time, yeah? Think, think about a lot of, you know, all games are made for people, and people play games, yeah, in human time, yeah? But if I want to train a vehicle, 
I can actually just speed it up and and basically have it drive us as at at a, at some virtual time that yeah. is way way faster than wall clock. Hypothetically, and again, we're talking about more more and more compute here. But hypothetically, if you had enough, I, I suppose you could do you know twenty thousand driving experiences. Maybe each of those. Maybe you have twenty different kinds of weather, twenty different kinds of terrain. You combine those randomly. You run twenty thousand of them with different levels of traffic, maybe a couple variables, and then you run the, all of those hypothetically at however many tens of times faster than normal human speed. And in theory, here you know we could model, figure out you know successes, failures, training in all those different environments a lot quicker and sort of ridiculously faster. I guess would be the the long term promise of this. Yeah, exactly, and and that is uh, that is where uh, that amount of training helps one particular aspect of AI systems, which is the ability to generalize. Yeah, so I mean, like if the system has seen enough crazy, unlikely episodes, but it really seen enough of them, then it's really hard to throw a real-world crazy episode yeah, at yeah. it where it hasn't seen something like that in during the training. Space, yeah. In the virtual space, yeah. A hundred percent. And so I guess what I want to get into, I do want to talk about the future because obviously you folks are thinking about where all of this is headed. And I think given your history at so many other you know big tech firms, uh, the trajectory that you see ahead, I think, is going to be something that we do want to flesh out. But let's we'll start with today, I guess, now that people understand the concept. In terms of today, obviously there there are future benefits, and there's also real deal, you know, hard challenges and limitations to this stuff that you guys are working hard to overcome. To be able to exactly and precisely model, let's say, brake pads at different levels of wear and tear for different kinds of cars with different amounts of weight in those cars, these things are really, really tough to model, kind of like you know, at some kind of crazy atomic level in the virtual world, how closely do we model? Let me just ask you this. What are the parts that in the virtual space we can model very close to legit reality? And what are the parts that are harder? You know, just a frank statement of kind of the lay of the land, easy, hard, you know, where, where do we stay? Yeah. You know, I couldn't have gotten, you know, a better question than that. I love that question. Awesome. What we have found is that there is a shift and this is a shift happening today where we are starting to realize that going into more and more precise, more and more accurate physical models, sort of thinking like deep mechanical engineering, yeah, trying to model the real world as closely as possible, there seems to be another trend, which is let's model the world with a lot of noise instead. Yeah. So instead of precision, we just throw a lot of noise in there. So things like friction, we let it have a lot of variation. Gravity, we let that have a variation. Yeah, And then what we do instead is that we ramp up of, uh, on the amount of training data to basically now train better machine learning models. They are more robust because they have seen more variation. Yeah, So huh. when you bring that into the real world, with this greater likelihood that the real world is now within your distribution. You, you follow me on this? Is, yeah, so instead of doubling down on precision, yep. you have to double down on the amount of data, throw noise into it, and basically get more robust systems out of it. And okay. that's a fairly new trend. Yeah. Uh, let me try to follow you conceptually, Danny. Obviously, you could go down to, to the code on this kind of stuff, and, and I'm just going to speak at a, a high level for our business audience. There do seem to be real issues with even the thought of modeling atom per atom a brake pad 
and how it would behave. Like that, that seems pretty ridiculous and, and kind of impossible. And it seems like the kind of bottom up building that is the reason why maybe the expert system stuff didn't build Google and Amazon because you can't hard code everything. We, we can't think we're picking up on everything and being able to, to represent it all. Instead, suck up all the wacky stuff that's happening, all the different data and all the variance in that data. And, and you're getting averages. You're getting, like you said, distributions. And if you just take all of that noise in those different spaces, you're kind of representing like enough of a globulous blob of data ranges that sort of does represent reality, maybe if you get enough of it and you collect it in the right way. Now, this is me talking like a person who doesn't nope. build support vector machines on the weekend, which I don't, but let me know if I'm on the right page. This is this is spot on. This is spot on. There's been this attempt for the longest, you know, I'm, it's, it's almost, for, it has been for decades, yeah, where we try to implement stuff in very deterministic code in very finite terms, you know, if statements in there that are booleans, true and false and all that stuff, yeah, when the world is actually, if you go really deep down at the atomic level. Well, it's, it's quantum mechanics, which is basically statistics. Yeah. yeah. So nothing is quite a hundred percent anywhere. And I think a, a bunch of companies, and you mentioned Google, I can mention Amazon. A bunch of companies are really successful today because they realize that customers are not that deterministic. Yeah. You operate in in a statistical world, and when you look at customers, when you look at self-driving vehicles, when you look at robots. There are all these other things going on in the environment that if you try to model too accurately, you're just going to miss it. Yeah, You're not going to be able to predict that. So we see this massive shift of people use the term big data all the time. I'm not going to go down that path, but it is kind of big simulation then, yeah? <laughs> With a lot of noise in and you, you have a system that basically seen most of what's possible. Yeah, well, and you could, I mean, we could easily see this extrapolated in a hundred directions. And I might touch on that very briefly before we wrap up this, uh, this call. Here's maybe a practical question as we lead into the future. You know, I'm thinking about this general theme here of simulating various environments at faster timeframes and greater intervals without actually having to kill real people or, or even damage actual physical metal, burn any fuel or any of that stuff. Um, we're just, well, we're using we're using energy to run all the compute, but but there's no there's very low risk of fatalities. Let's just put it that way. So clearly benefits there. When it comes to where vehicle companies, you know, I can see more and more of this in the future, and I, I basically don't see a future where we don't have increasingly better simulations that everybody's aware of, and and where AI systems aren't increasingly trained on this kind of stuff. But if we talk about today, you know, your Waymos of the world, your, your self-driving efforts at Ford and, you know, uh, Nissan and wherever else, where do they employ simulations? Because my guess is that the following is not possible. It is not possible to model a brand new kind of Nissan with a different kind of aerodynamics and a different kind of engine, run it through a bajillion virtual tests, and then just build it and know it's going to be okay. Like, obviously, we don't have real certainty with the world in just a purely virtual space, but where are the areas where we do want to run simulations to get value? What are what are the pockets where there could be value today? Obviously, you can't model everything, but it's useful for some stuff. What are those some things? The foremost one is when it comes to autonomous vehicles or self-driving cars. Yeah. You know, that That is the number one area where we see the kind of simulation that I just described. There's also a lot of other simulations going on and some of them you may not think of them as strictly simulations but it's kind of imagine designing 
the interior of a vehicle. And you have that entirely done in, in software. Yeah? Now you put on your, your virtual reality uh, goggles, your headset, and now you can sit down in a chair, but you can see the interior of the car in front of you. You can try to figure out if you can reach out and touch yeah, all the buttons, yeah, yeah. whether it makes yep. sense, whether it's too far from you, etc. Yeah. So actually you are simulating the experience of a, the in-vehicle experience totally. before you ever put one piece together. Well, and that, that makes sense, right? Because you don't want to have to use the physical resources. You, you have to use the fabrics. You have to use the metal. You have to, you know, design all the these plastic parts to support the armrest and things like that. Like it totally makes sense that you would want to do that virtually. Just just to touch on what you said about self-driving cars though, Danny, because that was kind of where I was angling this. When it comes to self-driving cars and where that's used, you know, in terms of where the value is for self-driving car simulation data today, you know, at the Nissans, the Fords, whatever, and you don't have to name client names, but I imagine you guys work with, with big firms. I mean, in terms of where it's used today, my guess is most of the value is in some pockets, like let's say modeling bad weather, or let's say modeling heavy traffic, or let's say testing suspension systems. I have no idea, but clearly it's not, it's not possible to train everything in the virtual world, but it is possible to get more value in certain pockets by adding simulated data on top of regular data. I guess where is that? You, you're mentioning self-driving cars is the biggest area. What are the pockets where it delivers the value? So it's actually in a pretty wide, it covers a pretty wide array. Okay. Some of it is visual. Yeah, basically being able to train the computer vision technology behind cameras. Yeah, we call that sort of the cognitive side of it, seeing what's going on around the vehicle and navigate. But there's also things like lidar and radar. So we also simulate lidar and radar. And the whole purpose of this is to actually build these machine learning models that are able to interpret the LiDAR signal, the radar signal, and the visual signal, and put it all together and build the most perfect perception of the world around the vehicle. Yeah? That it. stuff cannot happen on the street. When you drive on the street, it's, 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 it's too dangerous, number one. And number two, most of the time, there's not really a whole lot of stuff going on. You're just following the car in front of you. Yeah, yeah so, you, you could uh, simulate any traffic or pedestrian or lighting environment that you want a, a billion-fold, hypothetically. Exactly. That, that is the point. Actually, when you do drive these vehicles in real traffic, I can tell you that 98 to 99% of the time, nothing interesting is going on because you're really just trailing the, the, the car in front of you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but <laughs> that's funny. The majority of the the data in self-driving cars is probably just so so rote and so boring and it's it, it would be interesting to to see what percentage of Waymo's data at this point versus maybe their first year in operations is that data maybe adding something. So, okay, so the refinement of sensory systems, it sounds like that you know, in your opinion here is is sort of where the value is being gleaned in many respects in terms of simulations. Let's frame it this way, and I, I guess just for the sake of being short on time here, I'll keep it limited to automotive. When you think about the exciting potential of the future, going beyond where the value is addable today to where things could be, where, where ultimately we could sort of get to that would really be exciting, that is a healthy stepwise ahead of where we are today in terms of where the tech is, what is that vista of opportunity in, in automotive specifically that maybe you would think would be a great benchmark, something to shoot for? Yeah, that that would obviously be when when the vehicles can cooperate, uh, when the vehicles can cooperate with each other, they can cooperate with the traffic lights, they can cooperate with the with the city that they drive in. That's not just for automotive vehicles; it's, it's just the whole world 
we're going to see these AI systems initially be sort of very tailored to specific needs. But when they are able to communicate between themselves uh, and orchestrate solutions to problems that we don't implement, so you can say sort of multiple AI systems collaborate to solve a task, that's when we're going to really see a change, whether it's for self-driving cars or many, Mm. many other aspects of society. Yeah, so it's just paradigm-wise, we're talking about not a lot of smart, very perceptive individual vehicles, but a smart web of intelligences that are able to interact and make the whole system of moving people and things better. I want to leave you with one thought, which is that the human brain has not been undergoing a Moore's law revolution. Yeah, Our brain, we can look at the DNA. Our brain is as capable today as it was 70 to 100,000 years ago. Yep. Yeah? But we have put a man on the moon since, <laughs> you know, we very have. recently. Yeah, How did that happen if the process remains the same? Well, because the process <laughs> invented methods of language, other tools, writing, all these other things that allowed us to collaborate to achieve something. Yeah, And that took us out of the jungle into creating cities and eventually technology. But we had to think about that pattern of collaboration between AIs as that's going to make the real change. Yeah, and I can imagine a simulated future world, Danny, where all these vehicles that are on the road and, and doing different things, well, that, that there would be simulations of different ways that they could collaborate. So under these traffic conditions, if they had this kind of rules and these kinds of ways of responding to each other, how long would it take for everybody to get to their destination and how many, you know, fender benders would we have and all that stuff and then run that in different weather conditions. And so you could not just simulate individual vehicles, but potentially simulate methods of collaboration, means of interaction between these cars. And that feels like a lot of compute, but it feels like that's kind of where you're headed. Exactly. Exactly. Huh, and, right. and, and it's not us. It's not engineers thinking this out, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that'll have to be its own show, but at least that lets people who are tuned in imagine sort of where your brain's headed and what sort of the vistas of intelligence are uh, in the future here. Danny, that's all that we have for time, but I sincerely appreciate you being with us here on AI and Industry. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, and thank you for your interest. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of AI and Industry. This is your host, Dan Fagella. I hope that we catch you next week. Many of our executive listeners often get great ideas from our podcasts or our newsletters, but they end up coming to us for more help. So they might see some research project that we did with the World Bank, and they might want to do some of their own research on deeper market opportunities for AI in a specific sector or understanding the growth rates of AI in a certain domain. Uh, They might have seen some AI business strategy work that we've done with a pharmaceutical company and maybe ask about things along those lines or see one of the presentations that we've given at the United Nations and ask if we can speak at an event. Uh, And while we certainly do these things, uh, we're certainly involved with clients on pretty big projects on a regular basis, a lot of the time these messages will just end up in my personal inbox. People will find my email or they'll just find me on LinkedIn and send along a message. 
And this ends up being actually pretty tough to juggle at this point, given the travel schedule and given all the, the client projects that we're involved in. And few people actually know, particularly people who only listen to the podcast and, and aren't on Emerge.com or on the newsletter, uh, don't know that we actually have a services page that lists what we can help with. So we are not the best at everything, but in terms of what we do, which is mapping the capability space of AI and conveying that to executives in ways that help them win in the market, specific services tailored to that can be found at emerj.com slash services. So here at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, we work with government departments, we work with public companies, uh, we work with organizations who are serious about making AI a competitive advantage. And again, we actually do list sort of the programs that we have. So many of the podcast listeners don't know this. These messages end up in my inbox and then I'm you know, traveling for two weeks and I feel really bad that I get back to people later, but you can reach us through that services page or simply send along an email at services at emerj.com, services at emerj.com. From there, Dylan or Marcus or one of our team members will be able to get back to you much more quickly uh, than I would via LinkedIn. So if you're interested in doing more with what you've learned here, if you have serious business initiatives related to artificial intelligence and you want to take your organization to the next level, just simply reach us at emerge.com slash services, that's emerj.com slash services, or just email services at emerge.com, that's emerge with a J. So thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Next week, again, we're going to be diving into AI use cases and trends and conveying the transferable lessons that you can bring to your organization, and I look forward to having you here next week.